0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Morning, church. So good to see you all here this morning in church. Uh, It's been a few weeks, a number of weeks since I've I've shared my heart with you all. We were able to hear from uh, many of our pastoral staff the last number of weeks. Was that not amazing? It was so good. You heard if you didn't, uh, you can check it out online or check it out on the podcast. So good. And I feel so blessed to be a part of the team that we're a part of. And um, God has blessed this church family greatly. Uh, Hopefully you're expecting this morning. I feel like in our city we kind of got launched into winter break and the Christmas season a little early. uh, Saying farewell to many of the college students early. You know, the university finished up its semester uh, just last Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday, and so, um, so kind of a weird vibe in our city, saying farewell to a lot of college students, and, and that means we are turning our attention towards the arrival of King Jesus in this Christmas season, and so this is I'm excited to introduce this new sermon series to you that's going to see us through uh, this Christmas season as we consider the birth of Jesus not so much as the birth of a baby, but the arrival of the King. That's going to be our intention this Christmas season. As a a church family this school year, we've been exploring this this comprehensive theme of the kingdom of God that Jesus introduced when he stepped foot in his public ministry. He said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. and That was the language that he used to describe uh, what he was doing on the earth. It was through the lens of kingdom. And I've said this throughout this school year so far. If you haven't heard Christianity described in, in terms of kingdom, I'm, I'm sorry for that. <laughs> that is a, a failure on, on, the, on the churches um, on, on, in regards to what the church has, has brought to you. But Jesus, as he described his work on the earth, he described it in terms of kingdom. And so we need to understand uh, what, he, what he meant by that and the values of the kingdom, the agenda of the kingdom. And so in light of the Christmas story, I want us to fix our eyes on the arrival of the king because that's really what encompasses the the essence of the Christmas season is the arrival of the king. And there was a great anticipation in Israel at that time, especially amongst a remnant, for this expectation of a messianic king, of a redeemer that would come. And so my aim this Christmas season is to invoke a response of worship in our hearts I believe sometimes worship, worship is a choice, sometimes worship is obedience, but the best type of worship is worship that's a response as a result of something that you've experienced. It becomes the overflow of what God has done in your life. And you see that throughout the Christmas story in the Luke and, and Matthew accounts, you know, when, when the angel comes to Mary and she encounters and understands the, the revelation that she's going to host the Savior uh, in her womb. Uh, her response is worship. It's a beautiful song of worship in Luke uh, where she says, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Um, when the Magi come, the, the, the wise men come, You know, non-Jews, they, they come seeking this king of the Jews. And it says that they came to worship him. That was their response as a result of this revelation that the king had come was worship. The shepherds who got to encounter the revelation that the king had come to Bethlehem in that moment, that night, it says they returned glorifying and praising God. So that theme is throughout a revelation of the arrival of the king stokes in us worship from our heart. And it's a worship as a response. And that's my aim this Christmas season is that we would, um, there would be an extravagant culture of worship in our church family. We're, We're so blessed by the the worship environment that's created through our, our leaders, our worship leaders and musicians. Um, But make no buts, like, you know, make no mistake about it that what we do, what we cultivate on Sunday mornings is not a musical performance they're simply inviting you in. They've kind of cultivated the ground. They've kind of prepared the atmosphere. But really, they're just inviting you into a worship experience for yourself. And it becomes beautiful when the family of God experiences that together. And so um, you experience that in moments, just a critical mass of a unified expression of, of heart worship to God that we experienced in this morning was, was definitely that. So King Jesus came 2,000 years ago. Yes, in the form of a baby, but most, most importantly as king. And so Jesus is not just a king, but he's the king. He's the king of all kings. And so the anticipation of Israel 2,000 years ago, and for the centuries leading up to 3 or 4 BC when Jesus was born, it was that, that God would present to them or give to them this Messiah who would be a king. But the reality is many did not receive him as such. And I would say that even in our day, there's a longing to be rescued. There's a longing for a leader, for a savior. But the question is, will we receive the king that's been revealed? Will our hearts be in a place that we're open to receive King Jesus, to welcome him, to welcome our hope in King Jesus? And I believe that right now we need an encounter with hope. There's a hopelessness that's ravaging the land. It's um, a hopeless an epidemic of hopelessness more than anything coming upon our generation right now, not just in the States, but all across the globe. People being overwhelmed by hopelessness. I saw this stat recently from the Red Cross that said that symptoms of anxiety and depression have more than tripled compared to this time last year. There's just kind of these compounding um, results as a result of all the crises going, around, going on around us. But as followers of King Jesus, we do not need to be shaken. Our hope is not contingent on circumstances or situation. That's not hope. And so you, you, you hear people use the word hope wrongly, and they, they put their hope in, in a vaccine or in the economy rebounding. They put their hope in things or people of which come and go, the that blow to and fro like the wind. That's not hope. Hope is fixed in the character and the promises of King Jesus. And when you encounter that, and you begin to embrace Jesus as King, you embrace hope. And it begins to transform the way you live because you live from a place of stable, certain hope. So I believe right now we need hope. And my aim is to give you a dose of hope this morning. You know, in, in my home, we, we love to host guests. Um, like when we, we host people in the church to come and, and share and speak here, we, we love to host those guests in our home and have them in for a meal and just to make them feel comfortable. But my kids, anytime we're going to host somebody that they have never met before, their, their two questions are always the same. You know, what are they like and when are they coming? And, I, and we tell them what they are like and we tell them stories about how our paths have crossed in the, pa- in the past. None of those things do a person justice, but it gives them a glimmer of what is to come. And then there's that question, when are they coming? And there's the anticipation brewing. You know, in an excited kid, what do they do? They go out and stoop and they they wait for that person to come. Like, when are they coming? How much longer before they're gonna come? That was the sense at the time of Israel amongst a remnant, amongst these ones whose hearts were turned towards God. It's like, we've heard of what he is like, this King Jesus, what he is like. We know he's coming. We have some markers for that point to the timing of his coming. And it was then their prerogative, their responsibility to have their eyes lifted up, their head lifted up, their arms wide open in a place to receive King Jesus. So I have a strong charge for you this morning. It's to lift up your head and receive King Jesus. If you're going to welcome somebody, if you're going to receive someone into your home, you can't have your head down focused on yourself, focused on your own junk and your own situation. You have to lift up your head. If you're going to receive them well, if you're going to truly welcome them into your home. So you want to welcome hope. You want to welcome the embodiment of hope, King Jesus. Lift up your head off of yourself. The circumstances... Like the, sh- sh- the, the things that shake around you in life, lift up your head and fix your eyes on King Jesus and receive hope this morning. It's a strong call. I'm gonna repeat it this morning. Lift up your head and receive King Jesus. I wanna kind of set the stage and we're gonna look at uh, Psalm 24 this morning. But I wanna set the stage for what the atmosphere was like in Israel for the arrival that set up the arrival of the King. There was a brewing anticipation for this messianic king amongst some. Not amongst everybody, but amongst some. And there were three, I'm going to boil it down. There were a lot of compounding factors, but I'm going to boil it down to three compounding factors that I want to point us to that set the stage for this anticipation of what this king would be like. First is silence, 400 years of silence, deafening silence at that. Some of the last words of the prophet Malachi speaking of what was to come were, behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So, what God said. And then, pff, crickets. Then silence. Like, behold, this day is coming, the great and awesome day of the Lord and, and this one, this forerunner will come like Elijah. He'll be like the prophet Elijah. Like the great prophet of old. There'll be this one that will come and prepare the way and then Silence. Not one hundred years. Not two hundred years. Not three hundred. Four hundred years of silence. Can you kind of sense the heaviness upon Israel as you sit, like impregnated with this promise of this Messiah to come, of this King to come, of a hope to come, and then silence. Like, what have we put our hope in? Is this this foolishness? Is this a joke? Was it all a farce? Is there any reality to it? And you could sense the divide happening in Israel for some. They just cast it off. They say, okay, well, that must have been, we must have been on something. We must have been, you know, on the wrong track there. And they disregard the promises of God. But there was a remnant in Israel that allowed the silence to brew in them the sense of anticipation that God had not forgotten about them. This is what Alfred Edersheim said um, close to 200 years ago. He said, why are the redemption of Israel and the coming of the Messiah so unaccountably delayed? It is here that the synagogue or like the rabbinic leaders of the day, they, they find itself in the presence of an insoluble mystery. Like, there's no answer to that question of God, why the delay? Like, why does God seem so slow to fulfill his promise? And so that silence becomes deafening. But for a few, for a remnant, for those that their hearts are set in a posture to lift up their heads and open up their arms to receive the arrival of the king, it allows, it stokes in them a hunger of greater anticipation to receive their hope in King Jesus. The second kind of factor that compounded on the silence, contributed to the the atmosphere in Israel, was oppression this was the story of israel was oppression and we read about it in the old testament of israel being overtaken by babylon you know being uh, taken in exile babylon being overthrown by persia and just like daniel foretold persia being overtaken by greece greece being overtaken by rome and so you can looks like put yourself in the sandals of a first century jew it's like you would it would be easy to fall prey to hopelessness if that's all we've known, God. We've been oppressed by the Babylonians, by the Persians, by the Greeks, the Romans. Like every generation's had a different oppressor and it's kind of like, God, is, is there hope for, our, for, for this, this plan that you've, you've revealed to us? Is this for real? And so for some, they were greatly influenced by the, the nations that lorded over them. And they just took on the customs of whatever empire or nation ruled over them. We call that, specifically amongst the the Greek empire, empire, the, the Hellenizing of the Jews. They took on so much of Greek culture during that time, they ruled over them. But there were some, there were a remnant of people whose head was lifted up, their arms were held wide open to receive the arrival of the king that allowed even oppression to spur them onward towards the promises that they have and the hope that they have for a better age, for a messianic age. And so in Jesus' time, 3 or 4 B.C., the birth of Jesus, the arrival of the king, they were, they were ruled over by the Roman Empire. And they were not as kind as like the Persians. The Romans ruled, you know, with an authoritative um, force over them. And so you could, you could sense this call for courage in some of them to take hold of a hope for a better age, of a messianic age, of a hope to come. And the third contributing factor is sin. There was this sense, even leading up to the, the time of Jesus, there was this sense amongst leaders uh, in the Jewish community in, in Israel that they needed a savior from their sins. For them, it wasn't so much personal sin. They didn't have that revelation that we all personally need to encounter Jesus as Savior. But for them, it was this idea that they needed a Savior for their national sin. They, they understood that they had gone wayward, that they had taken on the customs of the Greeks and the Romans and, and gone after other, other idols. And they're like, God, we need a Savior. Like, we need you to right this wrong as a nation. Like, we turn to you. And there was that brewing sense of a need for a savior leading up to the time of Jesus. So all of these things, Jesus fulfilled their, their um, anticipation. He fulfilled that what they were expecting and what, they, what, they, uh, what the prophetic scriptures led them to, but he also exceeded them. And so they were expecting a king, but they weren't expecting necessarily the king of all kings like a God-man. They weren't expecting this king to actually be God himself. But this is why Matthew and Luke both make it very clear that Jesus is the expectant king, the anticipated king. Matthew chapter one, this is the way he starts. He says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He checks both boxes, folks. He is both a Hebrew of Hebrews. He is the son of Abraham, but he's also the son of David. the, The greatest king in Israel's history he, he is in the lineage of the, the golden age of Israel. So please recognize this. And in Luke chapter one, as the angel is talking to Mary, he says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom, there will be no end. So their anticipation was a king and that anticipation was being fulfilled and exceeded as this was being revealed in the story of the arrival of King Jesus on the earth. So there were some that allowed the the noise and the clamoring of their age to turn them wayward, to allow them to fall prey to hopelessness. But there were some, there were a remnant of people that allowed those things to push them to lift up their heads, open up their arms, and receive King Jesus. So let's look at this charge in Psalm 24. I know I took a long time to get to that, but, um, but I want you to kind of understand the context. And this is David, who fulfilled, who was such a, a beautiful foreshadowing of this messianic king, in that he fulfilled both a role as priest and king and prophet. And so here he prophetically tells about this this one who'd be even greater than him. He says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. This is our King Jesus. He's not a king, but he is the king. He's the king of all kings. And everything on the earth is his. And everything in the earth, the fullness thereof, every person, everything, everything in the universe, he founded it, he created it, he called it into being. And that is our hope. It's in a leader who is king over everything. It's a humbling thought for us to ponder, for us to meditate on. That we follow this King Jesus who is king and leader over all. He's the ultimate leader because he is God of all and there's none like him. As Paul says in the book of Colossians, he says, "For, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Like all, like really, believe him. He's saying all, all things He breathed it all into being. And he is Lord over all. So our hope is in this steadfast, sure, certain leader, ultimate leader, King Jesus. Our hope is not in any human institution or any human leader. For millennia, people have longed to be led by some perfect leader, human leader. We put our hopes in leaders. Oftentimes, especially for the church, and I'll get into this in a moment, I feel like we, we like to escape our personal responsibility and instead just put our hopes in somebody else to fix all of our problems. But our only hope in this, in this true longing for a leader is fulfilled in King Jesus. And I believe that every generation has to grapple with this idea of a human leader fixing all of our problems. Don't get me wrong, God uses godly leaders. He does, and their spheres of influence. He can use them for righteousness' sake. But there is no perfect leader. Jesus is the only perfect leader. He is the only Lord of all. He is Lord over all the earth in the fullness thereof. He called it all into being. He created it all. And we need to finally admit that and declare that and flee from the temptation to surrender ourselves to other leaders. You know, it was, it's, there's this kind of pattern repeated through scripture and even through church history. You know, when Moses didn't come down from the mountain, the people kind of felt like abandoned. We don't have a leader to look at. And So what do they do? They, they kind of appoint Aaron to be the leader. And that gets them into a whole lot of trouble because then they end up building a golden calf. And, <laughs> and they step into a whole lot of judgment. Later on in the story, they begin to compare themselves to other nations. They were led by judges. They righteously tried to, to lead them as, as a nation. They began to look at other nations like, other nations have a king. Like one figurehead that becomes the, the focal point of our nation. And God allowed them to have the, the desires of their heart and follow after other nations. As the story continues, even after the, the birth of the church, 300 years after the birth of the church, Emperor Constantine clung to Christianity and the church caved to the lust for recognition and power. They caved to it. And it really sucked the purity and the authentic power out of the church. And we've been trying to redeem that ever since. But I would say, I'm not trying to step on toes, but believers do the same thing today. We put our hope in earthly leaders. And I would say when we do that, we're abdicating our leadership and our influence. What if God's plan was to use a church, a body? When I say church, I mean church big C, to be salt and light. It's what the world describes as organic and grassroots. This was God's plan, to use people, small people, infused with a big God, filled with a big God, in their spheres of influence, being salt and light all over the world. That's God's plan. And so I believe there's something happening right now in our generation. I believe the church, like the proofs, it's very clear. It's being revealed. The church is demonstrating an inferiority complex. It's kind of embedded deep down in us where we put our hopes in politics or in entertainment celebrities to affirm or carry the torch of our faith. And in that, we are demonstrating our lack of faith in God's plan to use the church. The church is his plan A. God's not returning for a political party. He's not returning once we have the backing of the right celebrity. He is returning for his bride, and he uses his church to move his kingdom forward. That's his plan. That's his redemptive plan. It's to use you and I, banded together, to be the embodiment, the representation of his kingdom on the earth. That's his plan. So we need to step into it. We need to stop abdicating our, our influence and our responsibility and take a hold of it. And so I, I say all of that to say for as much as we long to be led, we need to realize that the arrival of the king has ushered us into this moment, this season. where We, we have... The revelation of King Jesus. And now it's our duty to follow after him. Every single one of us to follow after King Jesus. This one who is the Lord over all. All the earth and the fullness thereof. Let's keep reading verse three. Or else we'll probably be here till two o'clock, right? Your pot roast might burn, so. Here, so let's let's go for it here. Verse three, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Selah. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He answers it. He who is perfect, who has a clean heart, a pure heart and clean hands. Well, that's not any of us. He's pointing us towards this one who is gonna come, who can ascend the hill of the Lord. This king, this perfect messianic king who can ascend the hill of the Lord. If you you ascend the hill of the Lord prematurely, the sentence is death. For the wages of sin is death. If you come before a holy God, Without clean hands, without a pure heart, it's not a pretty picture. So instead, David points us towards this one who does ascend the hill of the Lord because he has clean hands, he has a pure heart. And he gives us an opportunity to actually seek the face of God, to be a generation of people that seek the face of God. This is good news. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so now you and I, we can become the righteousness of Christ we can come into the holy place. You know, you and I, we can now ascend the hill, of the, the hill of God with confidence. We can now come before our holy God with confidence because of what Jesus did, because of what King Jesus did, his arrival meant for us. He went before us so that people could now come into the holy place. And so maybe this morning you're like, Drew, well, I've messed up too much. My conscience haunts me. I've done too much. People don't, you don't even know what what I've done in secret. He says, it's the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. That's definitely not me. Well, David is pointing us towards good news. He's pointing us towards a transformation from the inside out. Like I was even saying during communion, religion stops with, with just cleaning up the outside, with just clean hands. But he's pointing us towards the good news that says also a pure heart. And only God can do that. Only God can clean up a human heart. We all know what's deep down there. And it's only King Jesus that can clean up what's going on in there. And what happens when we surrender our very hearts to King Jesus is it begins to even transform our actions on the outside. And we have clean hands and pure lips. So that is good news. I don't care what you've done. He will purify our hearts and it will result in a transformation of our actions. Let's keep reading this in verse 7. He says, This is the charge. Lift up your heads, O gates. And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. So David is talking to inanimate objects, to gates and doors, telling them to receive this king of glory. They are created for one thing to create a a passageway for things and people to enter into the the abode, into whatever it is. That's what he's talking about. He's talking to these inanimate objects. You and I were created for one thing. It's to welcome the hope of the arrival of King Jesus. And this is a strong charge for us to lift up our heads, to realize what you are created for, to finally take our eyes off of ourselves, And to look for the arrival of King Jesus. This is hope realized. I believe there's been a growing anticipation in our hearts. And I've sensed it in 2020. I've I've talked about it from time to time. The stirring that's happening on the earth. There's a stirring amongst people. And people turning to God. There's a hunger brewing in people's hearts for for authentic uh, spiritual power in God. If we'll recognize it. And so our response then should be to take our eyes off of ourselves from the clamoring noise of this world and anticipate the arrival of King Jesus. He came once, he's coming again. So, in the old covenant, the Old Testament, hope was only future tense. It was hope of a future to come. We live in the age where where hope is past, present and future. We have a hope of what has come, of what is realized now, and what is to come. And so I believe, I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward for us to respond, but I believe that 2020 could be summed up as a year of sifting and revealing. Hope is being revealed. But when we experience King Jesus and we see the arrival of the King 2,000 years ago as something relevant for us now, you will realize a hope, you will encounter a hope that is not dependent on your circumstances. You will say like David said, that the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. You will will declare that emphatically because you've seen this King Jesus see you through, through battles, trials, tribulations. I believe true hope is demonstrated in difficulties. Maybe you're similar to the way Israel was 2,000 years ago and you've experienced silence from your perspective from on, on behalf of God. You've experienced oppression constantly, relentlessly and you've experienced this, this gnawing sense of a need for savior from, uh, a Savior from your sin. I'm telling you this morning lift up your head and receive King Jesus. Just take your eyes off of all of that for a moment. Lift up your head, O Gates. Who is this King of Glory? Well, I'm telling you, he's been revealed 2,000 years ago. He was revealed as the Messianic King, the the Messianic hope, not just of Israel, but all of the world. All the the prophetic, um, all the, the prophecies, sorry. English language, I struggle sometimes. All the prophecies that pointed to Jesus, to this Messiah, were both fulfilled in him and exceeded. So yes, he was the hope of Israel, but he was the hope of all the nations. So now we take our eyes off ourselves, we lift up our heads, and we get ready to receive him. We get ready to welcome him with open arms. I'm gonna ask you to stand in this place. It was Wednesday in our midweek prayer gathering. One of our elders has delivered a word that was so affirming, so confirming for, for this word that I wanted to share with you. This is from Connie Sloan. Uh, she was one of our elders. And I'd encourage you to join us. Midweek prayer at noon. If you can't join us at noon, it's always posted online. And I would encourage you to just tap in and hear what God is speaking to our church in this hour. It's, it's been amazing to gather as a church family. Um... But it was during that time, this Wednesday, that Miss Connie shared this word and this really this encounter she had with the Lord where she sensed such a heaviness upon her. And she didn't know what to do with it. It was just kind of a weightiness and a heaviness. And so she, she brought it to the Lord and said, God, what is this about? And the Lord began to speak to her, what she believed was the Lord. She said, I, I want my church. And he was calling her to pray for my church. I want my church. And he pointed her to Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 where Jesus is talking, not to sinners, not to the lost, but to the church. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and he opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit with me on, the throne, as I, on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It was such a confirming word that Jesus is standing at the door, knocking saying, lift up your head, receive me. Our lack of faith, our unbelief is being revealed right now. And I would just charge us, I would call us as a church family to be ones, part of that remnant of people that have faith in this hour and this generation. So if you'd all bow your heads and close your eyes. Just two simple responses I want to give an opportunity for. One is for those in this place who've never surrendered their life to Jesus as Savior. But this morning, you know you need to do that. I talk about being in right relationship with God. And this morning, you just know things are not right. I want to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer from your own heart. It's not a formula, it's not about the perfect words, it's about your heart posture before a holy God. He did all the work, He did all the heavy lifting. So if that's you in this place and you'd be honest with me, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand because I'm gonna call you out or embarrass you. I just wanna know who I'm praying for. But if that's you, would you raise your hand? Awesome. If you raise your hand, or even if you didn't, you can put down your hand, but pray like this. Lord Jesus, this morning I come to the end of myself. I recognize you is the only answer for the mess of my life. You are my only hope. I recognize you as sufficient savior. And I'm gonna follow you from this day forward. I believe that you've made me into a new creation. That this is a new start. This is a new beginning for me. No turning back. Amen. Second is this. I want to give us all an opportunity to take take our eyes off ourselves, to lift up our heads and fix our eyes on King Jesus. I don't know what 2021 has for us. Nobody does. But I know King Jesus will still be on the throne. His second coming is still our anticipation and still our hope. And we have an opportunity to be a part of this this remnant of people that our eyes are fixed on King Jesus. So let's respond to him. Lord, right now, we lift up our heads. That ancient question, who is this King of glory? Well, we've had the privilege and the honor of seeing you for ourselves in the redemptive story as Messiah of Israel, but Messiah and Savior of the nations the desire of the nations. It's you, King Jesus. And so this morning, as a church family, as, as individuals, we emphatically declare that we're lifting up our heads. We're, we're taking our eyes off ourselves for a moment. The craziness of this world, the noise and the clamoring of this world, we take our eyes off, off all of that and we, we lift up our heads in expectation and anticipation for King Jesus. We welcome our hope this morning. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.